A reading of scripture this afternoon comes from Romans 8. This is the promise of God. Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You would turn in your copy of God's Word to Isaiah chapter 36. We're going to see that unshakable faithfulness and love of God for his people in their hour of greatest distress. I'll read Isaiah chapter 36. Hear now the Word of God. Now it came to pass in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then the king of Assyria sent the Rauschake with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem, and he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the secretary, and Yoah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Then the Ravshakeh said to him, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? I say you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which, if a man leans, it will go through his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar? Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you two thousand horses, if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, 
go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shevna, and Yoah said to the Rav Shake, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rav Shaki said, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words, and not to the men who sit on the wall, you who will eat and drink their own waste with you? Then the Rav Shaki stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree. And every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of the Sepharvaim? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But they held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shevna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rav Shaki. Let us pray that the Lord would help us to hear his word. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you for your promises, your faithfulness. Be with us now. Help us to hear in faith and turn our hearts to you. In the name of Christ, amen. As I look around me at an empty or almost empty building, the thought which has been on the lips of many lately comes to mind. We are living in very strange times. They are strange times indeed when the people of God stay home on the Lord's Day and don't gather. I've never seen anything like this in my own short life. My, my generation doesn't, doesn't have uh, this experience, but I reflect on things I've heard from grandparents who went through wars and depressions and think, these things have come before and they will surely come again. What must it be like to be a nation involved in a great war? Hearing of, of those who have experienced such things with the rationing, blackouts, the feeling of fear and isolation that could come, of invasion that could come at any time. Such feelings of fear, insecurity, isolation, dread, which many of us are battling, in which the society, the world around us is struggling with. These things 
are nothing new to this world. Imagine if you were one of the people of God that day on the walls of Jerusalem. You're shut up in the city. The Assyrians have flooded the entire countryside with their troops, taking town after town. Only two or three cities have resisted, and they're coming for you next. And as you stand there on the the wall of Jerusalem looking out, you see the hordes of troops coming against the city, and you hear the words of the Assyrians coming to mock, coming to terrify. Indeed, as we read in the word, uh, the Assyrians were a, a terrible people, cruel and inhumane. And the prophets um, uh, bring up God's opinion that, that they were to be destroyed by the Babylonians for their cruelty. And here they are surrounding the city of Zion, the place where God had set his temple and his presence. Here they are mocking the living God. We're going to look this afternoon at, first of all, the lies of Sennacherib, the king of Assyrians, through his spokesperson. Second of all, his mistake. And thirdly, his downfall. But as the Assyrians have surrounded the the city of Jerusalem, as the people in Jerusalem are no doubt uh, feeling the the concern of when will there be enough to eat? What's going to happen to us? Feeling the isolation and the insecurity which we today can understand in in small ways. The Rashaki, the the spokesperson for Sennacherib, king of the Assyrians, comes out to parley with the man from Hezekiah. Here they meet on Uh, by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, the place where a generation before Isaiah the prophet had given the promise of Emmanuel. In this same place, a generation later, again there is fear and uncertainty. And Sennacherib, through his spokesperson, he's not really there to parley. He's not really there to talk He's there to terrify and to terrorize the people of God. He wants them to be so afraid and so frightened that instead of holding back, they simply give in, open the gates, and surrender. Now, when he speaks to the people, he's not speaking the truth. Um, this is, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that when, when we are afraid, when we began to feel anxiety and panic. We become especially susceptible to lies, untruths. We begin to worry, and we can't think quite straight. We start worrying about things that don't even make sense. We, begun, we become susceptible to untruths that, that enter into our minds. We become afraid of others. What, what, what will they think of me? What will they say about me? What will they do? We call this the fear of man. And Sennacherib knows this. He intentionally begins to pour forth lies to the people of God to terrify them that they might be overwhelmed with fear and panic. 
Now, he gives many different lies, but there are two big lies especially that we're going to look at this afternoon. Two big lies to fool the people of God, to terrify the people of God, so they might no longer resist their enemy. The first big lie that Sennacherib tells the people of God is this. He tells them, your God does not love you. Your God does not love you. Look at verse 7. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Now what are these high places? If you read through the books of First and Second Kings, you'll find over and over again whether it's a a good king or a bad king, this line, but the high places were not taken away. So-and-so was a good king, but he didn't remove the high places. These high places were um, places where an altar would be uh, set up and uh, the people would worship sometimes to the the idols of the Canaanites and sometimes they would uh, bring worship to the Lord, the God of Jacob, But God had not commanded them to worship at these places, and so they did so in violation of God's principles. And Hezekiah was one of the first who had the boldness to go out and destroy the high places, to do what God wanted him to do. And yet, even though he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, here the enemy comes to him and throws it in his face. Don't you know that Hezekiah destroyed the high places? How can he expect God to come and save him now? This type of lie is what we might call false guilt. The enemy is bringing this false guilt to Hezekiah. He might second-guess himself, begin to doubt and wonder, perhaps I didn't do the right thing after all. Again, when you're in isolation, when you're afraid, You can't think straight. And the the truth can easily become twisted. Here he is, uh, perhaps beginning to wonder, did I do the right thing after all? Now we too can often struggle with this kind of false guilt. We've perhaps sought to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And yet the enemy comes to us as well, pointing his finger trying to work us up into false guilt over things that perhaps were not actually wrong. There's another kind of false guilt that we often experience as well. Perhaps we, um, in a situation where we have sinned, and yet we've repented. The enemy will try to keep us from experiencing the joy of forgiveness and continues to point the finger. Is that not what his name means? Satan is the accuser, the one who accuses the people of God. Even after we have repented, we've, uh, we've been restored, even after we've been forgiven, we have the promise of God's forgiveness to us, and yet we can continue to wallow in this false guilt. Think, for example, of Job. Remember the calamities that came upon Job. And what did his friends tell him? They said, Job, you must have sinned against God big time 
and he doesn't love you anymore. And it was all that Job had to continue and to, to, to protest his innocence, to say, I am innocent in the sight of God, and he is bringing this upon me for some other reason that I don't understand. It's the same way here. Hezekiah has done what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and yet the enemy accuses him, seeks to get him uh, to be afraid of the Lord, to forget God's covenantal love for him. Look here at verse 10 as well. This is what the, the, the Sennacherib is saying to the people of God. He says, Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Now, again, this is simply a, a twisting of the reality. You might recall that at this time there were the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom uh, being uh, uh, around the city of Jerusalem. And the northern kingdom, for their unfaithfulness, had indeed been destroyed by the Lord. He sent the Assyrians to remove them from the face of the earth. But not the southern kingdom. And yet, the Assyrians here, in an attempt to frighten the people of God, they bring the the same sort of destruction that they rightly had against the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom as well. This twisting of reality is something which we can do as well. Again, when we're afraid, we can't think straight. On a horizontal level, this can lead us to wondering, what does that person think of me? What did that really mean when he said that? We start to imagine scenarios in our head that aren't really the truth. And this happens on a vertical level as well. We can think, what if God's purpose is to destroy me? What if there is no grace? What if, because of my sins, I can expect no forgiveness from the Lord? This is contrary to all the promises of God. As we sang early, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As Paul says, well, it's called today. You still have the offering of grace through the blood of Christ. Don't believe the lie. The Lord is out to destroy you. But turn to him. The enemy wants to keep you from experiencing the joy of forgiveness. The enemy wants to keep you from repenting. He wants you to believe there is no hope for you. Give it up. But the word of God tells us otherwise. Reject the falsehood. And cling to the truth. And so as Sennacherib, as through his spokesperson, has been telling the people of God, God does not love you. He wants you to be destroyed. In verse 11, Hezekiah's contingent, they tell the Ramshaki, don't speak to us in Aramaic. Sorry, don't speak to us in Hebrew. Um, Speak to us in Aramaic, for we understand it. Aramaic being the the sort of the trade language of that day. The people on the wall uh, speak Hebrew, and he says, don't speak in Hebrew. They don't need to hear what you have to say. This is a parley. Speak in Aramaic. We can understand you. They don't need to hear. And in his arrogance, the Assyrian 
He says, am I only speaking to you? In essence, I've not really come to parley with you. I've come to announce the coming destruction to everyone in the city. He wants to terrify and to terrorize the people of God. This is a reminder. Our enemy is well. He's not going to parley with you. Don't try to make deals with the devil. He is out to kill and to destroy like a roaring lion. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And here, the the enemy of God's people lifts up his voice so that everyone can hear him, so that everyone can be afraid. And he begins to mock the living God. This is the second big lie that he, that he tells. It is this. He says, your God cannot save you. Look at verses 14 through 17. This is what the Rav Shaki, uh, coming from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, says. He says, thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine and every one from his own fig tree and every one of you drink from the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine a land of bread and vineyards. He says, your God cannot save you, so give up. This is a lie which we are often tempted to believe. Stop the struggle. Stop fighting against despair. It'll all be better if you just give up and go with the flow. Stop trusting in God's appointed king. Stop holding on to the promises and the land that he's given you. Let it go. It'll be so much easier. This is the lie that our enemy tells us as well. Your God will not see you through the struggle. You're on your own, so you better give up now. Second part of this lie, starting in verse 18. Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Sennacherib here, he says, the Lord is simply like all the other little gods of all the little lands. He's no better. He's no different. But we who have defeated so many of the idols of the peoples, will the Lord stop us as well? The Lord, says the Assyrians, is no greater than any other idol. Now, there's one thing that we know about God He does not like to be compared to the idols of the nations. We might recall the the story from 1 Kings 20. Do you remember? King Ahab, not a great king. Didn't trust the Lord very well. Didn't follow very well. Nevertheless, 
The Lord gave him victory over his enemies as they came up into the hills to fight. And as the Syrians, the enemies, went home to their camps, they said, I know what's wrong. This is the problem. We made the mistake of fighting the Israelites in the hills because, well, their God is a God of the hills and our God is a God of the plains. Now, if we can only get them to come out of the hills into the plains, our gods will be more powerful than their God. And the Lord, who knows all things, comes to King Ahab and he says, Ahab, this is what they're saying. They think that I'm just a little local deity and that if he can lure you out into the plains, that they will defeat you. He says, it's not going to happen. You know why? Because no one is going to be able to think that the Lord who created all things is simply a local deity. And so the Syrians, much to their surprise, as they they get the Israelites and Ahab to come out and fight them in the plains. And the Lord gives his people the victory that his own name might be vindicated and upheld. And this is Sennacherib's big mistake. He tells some pretty big lies about God. He says, your God does not love you, and your God cannot save you. And yet, the Lord himself will vindicate his faithfulness and his faithful love for his people. And the Lord will vindicate his own name and his own glory. The people of God call upon his name. Moving into chapter 37 here in verse 3, they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. But here's their hope in verse 4. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Ravshaki, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. The Assyrians have mocked the living God. They thought that they could cow the, the, cower the, the people of, of God into fear, into giving up. And yet they went too far. The Lord will not let them get away with it. So Hezekiah comes in prayer to the Lord. This is what we, what we ought to do when we are in trouble, when we are afraid. Bring your fear to the Lord. Call upon his name. He comes to the Lord and prays. Start reading here from verse 16 of chapter 37. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and all their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. Hezekiah recognizes the falsehoods 
He resists them. He holds to the truth. You are the Lord. You have the power. You have created all things. And he calls on God to vindicate his name that he might be glorified. Now, when we're afraid and we feel the the panic closing in on us, recognize the falsehoods that so easily come into our minds. Resist them. Now, is is this easy? Of course not. This is a struggle. This is a battle. This is a war that we fight. Fight and resist the enemy. Hold fast to the truth. The Lord himself answers Hezekiah and confirms that Sennacherib has told two big lies and they are not true. And he has made two big mistakes. First of all, when he says that the Lord does not love his people, the Lord will step forward and prove his faithfulness. When he says the Lord cannot save, the Lord will vindicate his name and his power. Reading here from verse 35 of chapter 37. This is the end of what the Lord has to say to Hezekiah. He says, For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. The first part of that, for my own sake. As the, the Lord says elsewhere in the prophet Isaiah, I will not give my glory to another. He will not let the Assyrians get away with this. They have mocked the living God. They have compared him to the idols of the nations. And the Lord says, I will be glorified in the sight of all men. Second of all, for the sake of my servant David, what is this but God's covenant faithfulness to his promise? Why does the Lord continue to save and uphold his people? Because of his promise to David. Because it's through David that the Lord Jesus Christ will come. God will be faithful to his promise all the way back in Genesis 3 when he says to the serpent that you will strike his heel but to the the woman the, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and he will uphold the line of David until it comes to him to whom it has been promised. No one will be able to say God was faithless to his promises. No one can say God no longer loves or cares for his people. The Lord loves his people. He loves his church because we are bought with the blood of Christ. He will be faithful to his church, and he will vindicate his name. You can count on it. Sennacherib has tried to terrify the people of God with his lies. He's made a big mistake. And what happens? We read here in verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning... There were the corpses, all dead. They went to bed at night to get a a restless night of sleep and a fear for their lives, surrounded by their enemies. And when they woke up in the morning, 
All was still and quiet. The Lord had removed the scourge of Assyria from his land, had vindicated his name, had shown his steadfast and faithful covenant love to his people and preserving them. So people of God, how should we live in light of these things? First of all, we're reminded here to be watch the, the things that, that go through our minds. Take stock of the truth. Are we, are we listening to truth? Or are we listening to the enemy's lies? The Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones once uh, said this. He said, one of the greatest problems is that we um, listen to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. And what he means is this. He says, are are we simply listening to the the things that flow through our head, allowing ourselves to listen to falsehoods, allowing ourselves to be discouraged by doubting God's promises, by worrying about others and what others may think of us? Or are we speaking to ourselves? Are we preaching the word to ourselves? Are we reminding ourselves of God's promises, his faithfulness, the way that he has always upheld his people? Are we listening to ourselves or are we talking to ourselves? Take stock of the truth. Resist the lies. Cling to the promises. Second of all, when we come to our hour of trial and fear, cast your burdens on the Lord. Know his promises. Repeat them to yourself. Remember his faithful love and his power. If we come to to, to wallow in false guilt or to live in helpless despair. Perhaps it's because we've forgotten, forgotten the greatest example of his love and power to us. Or where is God's love shown more greater than in the death of Christ? In the broken body, in the shed blood given for you This is your token, your prize. This is the the constant reminder of God's faithfulness to you. How can he reject that which he has bought with the blood of his son? The Lord loves his people. What about his power? If we think perhaps God cannot act, perhaps his hands are tied. What more proof do we need than the resurrection of Christ, raised up in power and glory on the third day, and how the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, ruling and reigning over his church. As we read earlier, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, for nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Don't let the enemy convince you that God no longer loves you, that for your sins he can no longer forgive. Don't let him convince you that the Lord has no power in this world. He has all power and authority. And he is working all things for the good of his people. Finally here, You might say, well, that was very convenient for Hezekiah 
He prayed, and the next day, everything was all fixed. That doesn't seem to happen in my life. That doesn't seem to happen. I I don't wake up the next morning and find that the coronavirus has been utterly killed and destroyed. This is a matter of priority. The third point that I would bring for us in the midst of this objection is seek the glory of God and the good of the church and you will never be put to shame. Why was it that the Lord did not allow the city of Jerusalem to fall? Because of his promise to David, his promise to Abraham and to Adam, the coming of the Christ. The Lord will not let his church be destroyed. And he upheld it, although by a a slender measure through the city of Jerusalem that day. Nevertheless, everything he does is good for his people. Everything he does is good for his own glory. And if we struggle to understand this, then perhaps we need to think about things differently. Because no matter what happens in life, no matter our fears and our struggles, do we not have his promises to us? He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what happens to you, wherever you are, that can never be taken from you. You have the promise that the Lord Jesus is with you and he will uphold you. Another promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter what happens, we know that the truth of the gospel will go forth, that the people of God will be kept alive and sustained through every trial and difficulty. Yeah, things don't always go the way that we would want them to go. We still have many sorrows and trials in this life. But if you seek the glory of God and the good of the church, you will not be disappointed. As an example of this, consider the martyrs who came before, those who paid the ultimate price for their love for the Lord, their faithfulness to him. Do we have regret? Do we feel sorry for them? Do we not rejoice in their triumph? in the everlasting joy in which they have laid hold of? Do we not thrill with joy when we we hear how they made the good confession in the face of trial, how they were faithful unto death? Did they not have something far better than even life on this earth? They sought the glory of God. They sought the good of his church, and they have gone to their reward. We too are called to delight ourselves in the Lord and find that he will give us the desire of our heart. When we make the Lord the desire of our heart, he will give us exactly that, something which can never be taken away. People of God, put away the falsehoods that come into our minds. Put away the distractions that keep us from thinking that the Lord himself is our ultimate treasure and reward. 
Speak the truth of God's word into your life, into your heart. Recount his promises. Cast your burdens on him and find that Christ is your only comfort in life or in death.